0: Uh, Meg promised that we wouldn't just remember all day, but I also look out and I see so many people who weren't here seven years ago. M- maybe some of you weren't here seven months ago, and that's become kind of a normal thing in the life of this church, that, that we um, are constantly receiving people with amazing gifts to offer, and, and the, the goal and the challenge is always to look around because we believe that God has given us exactly what we need together. Um, And so seven plus years ago, when we had a small group of people beginning to imagine what it might be to plant a church in the neighborhood, we uh, were doing all the things that that new groups that are trying to become groups do, and we're reading all the things that tell you how to do that well, and how you need to come up with a mission statement and a vision, and vision statements, and all these things. And we were having the hardest time uh, finding something that was resonant with everyone, but also um, vibrant and exciting enough to to to, to to take on the challenge of of planting a community of faith in a place, and so we struggled over the course of weeks because all those like tidy kind of triplets like love God, love neighbor, love the world or something or or worship community mission, those are so true and 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 great, and that 's not to disparage uh, other communities that use those things, but it it, it just for us it didn't seem like answering the question like why? Why us? Why here um, and how, how, how long into the future until we came across Isaiah 61 and, and this is like summer 2014 and, and this, this passage just um, connected so deeply to uh, all of our uh, folks who are gathering, all of our hopes for what it might be like to form a community and to minister in a place. Um, these, these words that Kurt will read, and you, you can start to come up, Kurt, um, uh, were on Jesus' lips too. Uh, when he uh, took the pulpit, so to speak, and started to preach, the, the words that, that he turned to and the words that came out of his mouth were from Isaiah 61. They're in Luke 4. And it's it's about all these things that we, we want to be about. We're still growing in. We certainly don't do perfectly, but we see a lot of opportunity to be doing here for a long time. Uh, and so we'll talk more about Isaiah 61, but Kurt's going to come and read for us.
1: All right, the reading from Isaiah 61. The Lord God's spirit is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me, he has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement. They will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. Foreigners will stay and shepherd your sheep, and strangers will be your farmers and vine dressers. You will be called the priests of the Lord, ministers of our God, they will say about you. You will feed on the wealth of nations and fatten yourself on their riches. Instead of shame, their portion will be double. Instead of disgrace, they will rejoice over their share. They will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and dishonesty. I will faithfully give them their wage and make with them an enduring covenant. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. All who see them will recognize that they are a people blessed by the Lord. I surely rejoice in the Lord. My heart is joyful because of my God, because he has clothed me with cloths of victory, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness like a bridegroom in a priestly crown and like a bride adorned in jewelry. As the earth puts out its growth and as a garden grows its seeds, so the Lord God will grow righteousness and praise before all the nations. The word of the Lord.
0: My father-in-law, who reads the Bible in a year each year for like the past 18 years um, and always pulls other people into that and has like a specific Bible reading plan for it, uh, finished the last uh, several chapters of Isaiah a couple weeks ago and, and called us up or FaceTimed us and was like, do you know how good the end of Isaiah is? I was like, (laughs) yes, (laughs) in short, yes. Um, Richard Powers, who wrote the Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Overstory, um, talked about a Chinese parable that, that asked the question, when is the best time to plant a tree? And the answer is 20 years ago. (laughs) <laughs> I thought about this yesterday when I saw kids hanging off of that little oak tree during the garden and wondering if that oak tree was going to survive the day, little <laughs> alone the kids also surviving the day. Uh, a Chinese engineer responded, good one, but when's the next best time? <laughs> I didn't plant one 20 years ago. And the wise person said, well, now. Now's the best time. Because... Even if you've never planted anything before, now is the best of times. It's long and it rewrites everything to plant now. That was kind of the mindset we had seven years ago. And seven years isn't a whole lot of time in the grand scheme of things, but its I, th- I think it's significant while you're in it. Uh, I know I've been overwhelmed thinking about the last seven years and having all those uh, Apple and Google photos and Facebook photos just dumping and cascading on me from all these block parties, and I can't even distinguish which year is which, but they're all so beautiful. So, while um, we're probably going to belabor this, so just give me some grace for the like arboreal metaphors this morning. We are Oak Church, that's okay. Um, but. Each year around this time, it's like we're, we, we trace a new ring of growth. Uh, and this, this year, that ring is so wild-looking. <laughs> Brody alerted me uh, this week when we were talking about some of this that woodworkers refer to those cross-sections that look like our logo and call them cookies. Um, so now you know something new. Uh, if you didn't know that, I know Courtney knew that. Um, and if you were to look at the rings, in a cookie, uh, in the cookie of most of our lives, you'd see something probably strange in common the last several years. Like there was like a lightning strike, or a consuming fire, or a drought, or a parasite, or maybe even a plague. (laughs) In some ways, I'm sure that has to be the case for us. But those marks, those Scars that each of us individually and all of us collectively bear they They are and they can be testimonies. They can be signposts of how things are and have been but also That they're not supposed to be that way and there can be growth past those that, that doesn't have to be the, the permanent state or the end of us At all uh, it, it kind of signifies that it, it all adds but it doesn't necessarily all add up. Like we're not at the sum of those, those hurts and even those extended seasons of pain and anxiety and loneliness. It all matters, every bit of that matters and matters to God and, and should matter to each of us as God keeps growing our hearts towards each other, but it doesn't necessarily have to make sense or we don't have to diagnose why these things have happened or are happening. We're all becoming in some ways what we've been through that's kind of a, a word for us uh, in this season. We're we're becoming what we've been through, and man, we've been really through it. <laughs> and and the, that was a reminder yesterday, seeing faces in the neighborhood of people that I hadn't seen for a while. Like we've all really been through it. Our neighbors have really been through it on a personal level. Sometimes we, we choose to go through it. Sometimes we can join with others who are going through it, even if we're not. And in sympathy and empathy and friendship, we can walk with people in that sort of pain and need. Sometimes this sort of pain and need comes to us and we didn't choose it, we'd never choose it. Things like cancer or relational strife, like those come, those come knocking at our door and we didn't opt in. And together we've experienced a lot. I think just in this last two years, and, and I, I'm sorry if I'm making us relive it and you thought this was like a uh, safe space to not talk about these things or think about these things, but like the sort of like political polarization that has threatened some of our closest relationships. We don't even know how to be with some of the people that we love. The pain and lament and fear over racial injustice and, and violence and and. I mean, that's not new. That's uh, maybe the revelation of some of these things and open eyes to them. A sweeping pandemic that seems like it's never going to end. Local gun violence that just perpetuates. Uh, you know, yesterday was the the annual vigil and that list just keeps getting long longer and those names and ages just keep getting younger and it's terrible. Or like this past year, we've we've had our... Our eyes open and our hearts joined to a military coup halfway across the world in Myanmar, and and firsthand experiencing some of the effects of that and the displacement and the fear. Or, the, the the thing that's running in the background of all our our lives is slow-ticking climate crisis that is just happening, and and it feels like a tailspin that we can't pull out of. You may you may have felt your anxiety levels creep up <laughs> with that list. I'm so I'm so sorry. <laughs> Maybe you wonder though, with all this suffering, with all this injustice, with all this seeming hopelessness, maybe you wonder, and, and we have some young parents in this room, Like, maybe you just fear, or you wonder like, is it, is it a good thing to bring someone or something new into the world if the world's like this? And if the world is trending this way? If it's a good I- idea, trying to plant anything new or anything fledgling or anything vulnerable in such a harsh and savage place in time as this. But I think sometimes planting is the only thing you can do. Like, sure, it's weak and small and seemingly insignificant, and, man, it takes a long time for any fruit to come. Planting a single church isn't going to solve the, like crisis of global loneliness any more than planting a single tree is going to solve the crisis of global warming like i'm a, i'm very well aware of this but planting even just the act of planting inherently involves trust and hope hope that things will grow that the soil is is decent or can be amended hope that roots will dig deep and tap into the source of something. Hope that the trunk will become established and durable. Hope that branches will reach out and up. Hope that leaves will be, as Wendell Berry says, harvested when they've rotted into mold. That's the long game we're playing. Hope that there will be fruit and a place for birds to make their homes, like that mustard tree that started out as something small and still didn't become all that much, but at least became a place for people to rest. Hope, just even a little bit of hope that we can become part of an ecosystem, not standing alone but being part of a culture. Like, that's what we're doing here is we're trying to build this, this permaculture. This is a hope that should be familiar to God's people. I'm not just talking about God's gathered people here at 2100 Chapel Hill Road today. I'm talking about God's people throughout time. This is a hope that was being formed and ignited when God called Abraham and Sarah and told them that they were going to grow a family they were going to plant something, and it was going to grow. It was going to be substantial. This was the kind of hope for a resurrected, empty womb that would be opened. It was a hope for growth and possibility and new life, ongoing life. And this is a hope that's way back there in those stories, and those histories that were grafted into, but it's also a hope that goes forward. A long time forward way past us and beyond us it's a hope that continues towards God's future towards the renewal of all things when Jesus will come again and judge all of these injustices and make all the sad things come untrue this this hope stretches back and it stretches forward Martin Luther this is one of those quotes that is may or may not have happened but should have happened, even if it didn't. He said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant a tree. That's what he would do. Think about that today, later today. If you knew that the world was going to end tomorrow, what would you do? And, and don't like YOLO it. Like, it <laughs> That's not a sustainable way to live. Like, Of course you would fly to your parents and give away all your money, but then like, what about tomorrow, right? So I get that. But he said, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would plant a tree. And this is something kind of similar to a a Jewish rabbinical uh, saying, expecting God to intervene and expecting the Messiah to come. And and this rabbi says, if you have a sapling in your hand and they tell you that the Messiah has actually arrived, first plant the sapling and then go greet the Messiah, right? This this hope is a, a planting hope. So when we started in 2014, we had no idea that we were planting in the end times, in the apocalyptic moment. <laughs> and bear with me, uh, this is not that kind of sermon. Uh, it, it might be, I don't know, we'll see, I don't know. But I think it was 2014, at least at the end of some eras, and we didn't really know it. Like Looking around, it feels like... Many of us have probably felt this, but maybe we don't name it as such. But planting in times like those and times still like these is an act of hope. It's exactly the church in the neighborhood, not a cool church or a fancy church or a clever one or a particularly great one. Just a church in the neighborhood set about this work that is faithful over a long period of time that can be used by God. It's a church like that, a church like us that can be used by God, that can be planted and established. St. Augustine once said, and he was commenting on the song that the band let us in earlier, uh, Psalm 126. He he said, uh, when the psalm says, those who sow in tears will reap with joy, Augustine says, let us sow in this tear-filled life And what shall we sow? We shall sow works of mercy. They are the seeds for us. And your ground is the church. Sow there as much as you can. And that's what we've seen. And that's what we're doing. That's what y'all are invited into. Even if this is the first time you've ever darkened these doors. Sow as much as you can here. In this place. In this church with these people around you. That was the work in the quote-unquote, before times, and that is also the work in this, quote-unquote, new normal that we're experiencing. There's nothing that normal about it. But this is the work of sowing in tears and reaping in joy together. And that's not like an automatic formula. Anyone that, that plants seeds knows that not all seeds grow, and not all seeds grow like you want them. But God's grace can work through this slow strange process through these sl- slow strange community of lives built on faith hope and love that are growing in faith hope and love we're not perfect in those things yet so reading back through Isaiah 61 this week in the last couple weeks I was struck by this prof- prophetic imagination still still works still works for us it's still exciting to us even in the midst of devastation and destruction and despair, there, there's a hope that God might might raise up but also might sustain a people and and it occurred to me reading this that, that the kind of people they are and that we're supposed to be is, a, is an instead people here 's what I mean by that an instead people that are that walk into or even are experiencing in themselves. Ashes and God grants them instead a crown. That that there and instead people encountering mourning and God gives them instead oil of joy. Instead of discouragement, a mantle of praise. Instead of shame, a double portion. Instead of disgrace, a share of things. Go through that section. It's really inspiring. Unless we're ki- unless we're careful though. We might think that these insteads require like replacement, like new circumstances, new resources, maybe even different people. <laughs> this, is, this is maybe why in our culture, uh, New Year's Day is so important because it's like, all right, now instead of the person I have been, I'm going to be a new person. I'm going to exercise and eat right and be so kind and always be patient and then like January 10th happens, right? But the hope and scandal about all of these instead pronouncements is that they are impinging into the old. The insteads are not in place ofs, they are creative, like mending to make new by the God who sees and cares deeply and calls us not only to experience hope, healing, and hospitality in Jesus the Messiah, but to be part of this this radical campaign to notice it blooming where we're planted. That's what the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven means. That we're agents of insteadness. That we can become the sort of people who can imagine something different and who join God in this creative repurposing. I think this is what it means to be called an oak of righteousness planted for the display of God's beauty. That God imagines spirit-anointed beauty with Jesus, in Jesus. And the work of this beauty-making, this beautifying, is preaching good news to the poor and binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming release to captives and liberation to prisoners, and to call jubilee in the face of fatigue and scarcity. Jubilee, rest, renewal. It means to be about this new regime, God's kingdom, this kingdom that rebuilds and renews and restores, not by replacing, but by transfiguring and including and doing that difficult work of of, of, of cultivating gifts. By building what Professor uh, Willie Jennings calls spaces of shared desire and hope. That's what I think this place is and can be, a place of shared desire and hope. I think it means like... Um, like Psalm One, Israel's songbook, starts out with this Psalm One styled vision of flourishing. Someone who gets rid of in his shoes like pessimistic chatter and and interrupts those anxious loops of our world that doesn't know hope, and is instead like participates in God's hope and, and exists by, by rooting down into God's faithfulness. It says, they are like tree, a tree planted by streams of water which bears fruit in season and whose leaves don't fade. That's the picture, a, a tree planted by the water. I, I think it's such a great time to be thinking about hope because we're, we're about a month away from the start of Advent. And if Advent is anything, it is a season about hope, uh, remembering hope and, and looking forward into hope. And I was talking uh, with Rach about these things, and she was she was talking about um, how she's become more and more of a plant lady during this season. For some, it was sourdough. For others, it's house plants. We get that. But, but she was talking about, uh, especially that, and she's gotten pretty good, but it didn't start out that way. There have been casualties. But she was talking about uh, learning hope in caring for these plants. It's, it's like... Involves a a skill but also a certain stubbornness that life can be found. That something is happening even when everything on the surface is still and silent and empty. Even when growth is stagnant. Even when all you can see is, she said, like active decay. (laughs) Even when death is obvious and undeniable. Hope knows that life is still possible. Hope is watching for that and waiting. These are Advent things. This is this is Israel's expectation. This watching and waiting in a presence. A hope requires being present to all these subterranean things that are happening around us. All this all this slow, sneaky work that God is doing, maybe even in us, to be attentive and to be present to us that, and 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 to be available so that when God sins like an undeniable sign of life we recognize it and it is sudden and it is breathtaking and then when you string a few of those uh, noticing moments together hope starts to build up you learn to expect and to live with that you can you live in a world where miracles happen, even miracles that you didn't used to know as miracles. And that's, that's what hope-filled lives are like. And, and, and we need each other for that, for that recognition and for that encouragement and for those reminders. This is, this is, why, this is why in a couple of weeks we'll, we'll read the scripture about a, a shoot growing up out of the stump of Jesse. This, uh, Jesse must have, must have had houseplants you know, that were almost dead and probably dead, and then something new happened. This is how God still works. Friends, I, I, thinking back, I, I, I've seen this, not even in the distant history of Oak Church, but in this recent last 18 months of Oak Church. I've seen it during COVID when in a time where how we used to be and what we used to know went completely to Zoom And that had a shelf life of about three Sundays before we were all sick of it. But out of that, and and y'all were so faithful in that season too. It was amazing. But out of that, God grew this fellowship in the El Futuro alleyway that has become a, a, a lifeblood of our church as we've reassembled. I've seen that in the intermediate period of parking lot church. That was what was so wild and special about yesterday's great party out in that parking lot was that was where we were worshiping. That's where we were taking communion. And that's where we opened up a different form of that communion at the tables yesterday. It was so beautiful. It was, it was brilliant and completely unexpected. And only the result of a season of a lot of things being not anything close to how we would have chosen. It, it's hope. That is happening and people plugging in during this process. People that are so vital now. I didn't some of them I didn't know six months ago, or twelve months ago, or eighteen months ago, and have engaged in this challenging time and have just been so kind and so open and so available and, and so offering their gifts to this community. It's brilliant. I've seen this with the art and the music that is getting made out of here and, and the, the worship leading that is happening. That is so hopeful. It's it's so profoundly generous and, and so profoundly generative. And I see this in this coming season for us, all the all this hope, the hope of uh, a burgeoning um, youth group, and it's it's hard to even call it a youth group; it is an an emerging youth group, it is a sapling youth group, right? And it's so beautiful and brilliant to see our church maturing uh, in the in this cohort of kids who are becoming adults. Uh, I see it in. In our, the, you know, we had our congregational meeting, and these new structures, and these new leaders, and these new friendships, and these new ways of making room for our neighbors—it's it's amazing and it's inspiring. And and y'all are, as as Rach said, co laborers and partners in this in this work. It's beautiful. So Oak Church, as we as we close our seventh year together and turn over the calendar page to start our eighth. I couldn't be more excited to see how God continues to grow us together. And I don't think this growth is, like, industrial farm style. Like, this is not a monoculture growth. This is, this is uh, you know, this beautiful, diverse expression of hope and joy together. I... After the season of sermons that we've just been on, I, I, I look at these Sunday gatherings almost like a farmer's market with just like a veritable uh, cornucopia of all these fresh fruits, this outrageous mix of ripe and in-season fruit of you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And they're all here for, not just for us, not to make us better people, but for each other and for our neighbors. I love to think that this fruit that we're growing, you know, in wine terms, like, is is indicative of like the terroir that we're in. Like, has like the the soil and topography and climate like built into the flavor of all these things. And I think that's what's happening when we gather together in this place, and God is growing us. So thanks for sowing, and thanks for growing, and thanks for feasting together, and thanks for the hope that, that permeates through all of that. Will you all pray with me. A God, who grows, who uh, walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, and ends this whole big story in the Garden City. Uh, we thank you for growing a people here. Uh, we thank you uh, for that that little ending of our chapter that says, this "Is the earth." puts out growth as a garden grows its seed, so you, Lord, will grow righteousness and praise before the nations. We trust in that. Grow us in hope. Grow us together. And we give you thanks for all your gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.